Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome, Chiefs' kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I'm Matt Stagner here with Ron Cop Jr., as always. Looking back on the final week of the Chiefs' regular season as they beat the Raiders 31-13, to clinching the top seed in the AFC and the postseason bye week, which is really important for this team, I think. We're looking forward to the divisional round where they'll face probably the lower, well, obviously the lower seed of whoever wins in the first round, which could be the Dolphins, the Bills, the Ravens, or the Bengals, Chargers, or Jack- Jacksonville Jaguars. It's obviously... Uh, most likely to be the winner of the 4-5 game, which is the Chargers at Jacksonville. We'll talk about our playoff predictions, who we hope to face uh, later on. But first, Ron, I'm going to give you the first chance and the first question from Aim Down Sights to talk about this matchup against the Raiders. Felt like a fairly complete game, as Aim Down Sights says on Twitter. If the Chiefs play a complete game like this against the Raiders, can anybody beat them? Obviously, we've seen the losses with turnovers and mistakes, but they were really in control of this game against the Raiders from the kickoff. Jumping right into it, Stags. I, I, how are you doing, my friend? Just wanted to say <laughs> hello there, first of all. Uh, no, we got a packed show, so I get it, man. I get it. You know, it's going to be it, – it's playoff time, so I get it. And, uh, yeah, it, it was good we're to see this We're playoff mode here, Ron. We're all business. I know. I know. Yeah, we're all business here. We're all business. You know, there's no there's no handshakes here. There's no there's no meet and greets here. Uh no, uh, aim down sights. No, I, I think he he's on to something here. It was good to see this this complete game before the postseason. And honestly, you know, it's it's been down the stretch, you know, that, that they've had a few more complete games. Uh, you know, the Seattle game comes to mind as well. I know the offense maybe didn't carry their load as much in that game um, as other games. But, you know, I, I do think this game kind of made it all come together, right? You know, you saw the offense go four for four in the red zone, you know, didn't miss an opportunity there. 168 rushing yards as a team, did not turn the ball over once. Mahomes, you know, first half was just, you know, 82% completion rate, you know, no sacks, 129 passer rating. Obviously, second half, I think, you know, that, that's why I include in first half because the whole game stats weren't very impressive. But first half, you came out firing. And then the defense, right? Defense comes out six sacks. That was their season high. They tied uh, for the game in Denver. Two turnovers forced. We got an interception and a fumble recovery. That was nice. And and the Raiders had six points until like seven minutes left in the game when really the game was was completely out of touch. So. Um, it was good to see the defense also put that together. They only allowed a touchdown uh, once in three red zone trips. And then the special teams, you know, we see Bucker go five for five on all kicks, 
Townsend had three punts land inside the 20. Two of them inside the five. We saw him do the Conor McGregor celebration. He was feeling himself and no muffed returns. So uh, it was good to see all three units come together. It was definitely a, a highlight reel unit for uh, all three, all highlight reel day for all three units. Yeah, clean game, which is really the most important part for me. We've talked week in and week out about how if they don't turn the ball over on offense and they don't get crushed by penalties on the defense, they're probably going to be okay, especially if they tackle well. And sure, there was a couple of moments where uh, the Raiders broke through a couple tackles, but for the most part, this team was pretty sound on, on defense. Uh, they didn't have a ton of penalties, and, and like you said, they didn't didn't turn the ball over, but but took it away a couple of times. Uh, they held Devontae Adams to 73 yards on five catches. Um, you know, Darren Waller, two catches, 35 yards. Josh Jacobs, 17 carries for 45 yards. So you've got the three big weapons on the, the Raiders offense that put up big numbers the previous week against the top defense in the 49ers. Uh, really, we're not able to get much going against the, this Kansas City defense, which gives you some hope going forward hey i'm not gonna lie I, coming into this game i thought the over was gonna hit i thought the raiders were gonna be able to put up some points um i you know i know maybe it was just getting a little too you know over, or overreacting to stidham's performance against the 49ers but he just looked like he ran that offense you know to a to a t a little more than Derek carr did right and and, and sometimes that's all you really need in, in an offense with with weapons that they have with darren waller and Devonte adams you know you don't need to do too much and sometimes Carr just you know does a little too much or makes the wrong play or doesn't read it right. Um, and I thought Stidham might be able to, to kind of do some things. So, I, you know, I don't think it's anything to, to you know, um, you know, not, you know, not be impressed about. You know, I, I do think it's something noteworthy. Uh, you know, they, they put up 30-something against the 49ers. I mean, you know, the 49ers still had something to play for. They finished as the two seed. You know, they, they had to win that game to get the two seed. Now they played that second game in at home. That was important to them. They needed to win that game. They had all their defensive players there, so. I don't know. I, I do think it's it's noteworthy the Chiefs' defense, man, um, and and the pass rush. You know, continued their momentum. Um, you know, we'll talk about it. And I mentioned the six sacks, but you know, it was spread around. You know, a lot a lot of guys. Dana didn't he get two sacks? Am I am I remembering that correctly? Maybe one and a half. I'm not sure he got credited for all of them. He he did get he did get credit for for two sacks. That's right. There you and go. Yeah. Them, at least one of them was a, a forced fumble as well. Oh wow! It says two forced fumbles. I don't remember the second forced fumble. Yeah, I'm looking at the box score now on NFL GSIS. Yeah, uh, you know, I I probably wasn't watching as closely down the stretch. Uh, <laughs> right, rolled on, but yeah. uh, I think a lot of people were that way. You kind of felt pretty confident and pretty comfortable there, and were able to multitask a little bit while that game closed out. So, yeah, I, I think he did get uh, maybe both of those in the second half, um, and uh, I, I didn't notice them as much, but I, I heard others talking about it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, Dana has been a nice contributor uh, in the rotation on the interior. Uh, pass rush, his uh, his style of play has has really has really been a good addition uh, to that group. Carl uh, Loftus, they only gave Carl Loftus credit for half a sack, which I don't. Yeah, it, it looked like he got that one completely clean. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, Chris Jones with two and a half, Mike Daniel with two, Carl Loftus with a half, uh, Justin Reed uh, on the blitz on that second drive of the game, I think, or the first drive of the game uh, was that one. So. Uh, yeah, besides, just, yeah. yeah, I just want to say, you say Justin Reed, man. I, I want to shout out the safeties because I was hard on him, Stags. I, I I was hard on him a few weeks ago, man, uh, about a month ago maybe. And uh, one of them took it a little too hard apparently on, on Twitter, uh, unfortunately. Uh, shout out Justin Reed, you know, still still rooting for you, man. <laughs> um, but 
that's the thing, man. Uh, they have been making plays. That was the exact thing I said. You know, I, I was on 610 saying it. I was in articles saying it. I was on this podcast saying it. If the safeties start to make more plays down the stretch, I'm going to feel a lot better about this defense. I'm going to feel a lot better about what they can do, you know, you know, making us stops in, in the postseason. What do you know? You, you, this game was a, the, the, you know, a pinnacle of that, right? You know, they, they both get tackled for losses. Reeds obviously is a sack. But Juan Thornhill is the pick. You know, he, he intercepts it and, and also has his, his own tackle for loss, has seven tackles total. That's just kind of been a theme of these last few games. Um, since that at Denver game, they, they, they've seemed to kind of turn it on. Um, they kind of fly around a little more. So just wanted to give him a shout out. And uh, if Justin Reed's listening, man, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm positive when, I, when, when, when the positivity is warranted. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I, I love the tradition of Ron getting blown up on Twitter for his, <laughs> for his takes by players. Uh, whether he's blown up for, for a negative take um, or with uh, Patrick Mahomes retweeting him. Uh, I, lo- I like to fly under the radar and let Ron catch all the all the flack from all the players, uh, <laughs> right? Or the praise. That's probably the smart way to do it, Sags. You're you're in the you're in a you have a good strategy there, I would say. But you know, Thomas Ramirez, our guy, uh, asked about the safety play. Is this the the safety is finally showing up? Is this a reason the whole secondary looked better? And I would argue that it is. I mean, I think you've got you've got some versatile safeties there, and with. With Cook still being the wild card, I still don't know quite how to evaluate where Cook is in his uh, in his development. Maybe you've got some thoughts on that, but it was great to see. And I pointed this out in the winners losers piece on ArrowheadPride.com this week that you had in the first two drives you had a sack by Reed, you had a tackle for loss by Thornhill, and then you had Thornhill's interception. I mean, those are plays that in drives that that really make the difference and. Not only that, but Reed had at least two monster plays in coverage uh, against Darren Waller. Uh, one of one of them in the end zone, if I remember, remember correctly. So it's not just do they cause turnovers, but are they are they making plays in coverage and helping out those young corners uh, when, when help is needed? Uh, and I think that hasn't always been there. Maybe this year, but uh, but it certainly was there this week and over the last few weeks. Yeah, like you said, having those game changing plays from that level of the defense makes them that much more dangerous. And it does at least give quarterbacks enough pause in throwing the football where, when there's a safety in play that, that the pass rush can get home. And so I think those things yeah. are certainly a, a, a lot of synergy uh, on that level as well. Yeah, you mentioned – I'm glad you highlighted him on Darren Waller because uh, our guy Nate Christensen, our, our great film analyst at the site, um, actually is going to have a, a, an article out here soon that kind of – point some of that out that lately they have been trusting him um kind of manned up on tight ends and he's been doing really well he's been he's been that's kind of been one you know x factor of his that you know maybe wasn't something that you expected of him uh, coming into the season but he does have good size and speed right like he he is a well-built player and he can deliver the wood or he can bring the wood you know he can he can lay a hit um you know ask russell wilson a few weeks ago uh i think that was russ right where he just laid him out um as he was throwing but so yeah i i'm it's really good to see reed and thornhill finer i think you know, this this defense needs safeties to be playmakers. So I, I think they're they're stepping up and, and being the playmakers that they need at the right time, right? Absolutely. And so all in all, this was the the type of game you wanted to see. The Chiefs aren't limping into the playoffs. They're coming in on a high note. Uh, they are uh, peaking at, at the right time. You got a lot of players peaking at the right time. A lot of players peaked all season, frankly. So we wanted to talk about not only our stats of the week, but also some stats of the year. Because the regular season is now over, 
Uh, you've got all 17 games in the bag for, for the Chiefs. And there's some trends that popped up there and some really standout performances. I'll let you get started. We've got a lot of these to cover. Yeah, you know, shout out, uh, you know, uh, the running back group. I think that is where I want to start here because Isaiah Pacheco, um, if, if, if anyone didn't realize, it averaged 4.9 yards a carry this year. His last game actually really helped him. He averaged eight yards of carry this last this last weekend because he only had so many so many yard or so many uh, handoffs. But four point nine yards per carry, uh, minimum one hundred carries. That is the third most of any running back in the Chiefs Andy Reid era. Only Jamal Charles has ever averaged more than than uh, Isaiah Pacheco did this year. And Kareem Hunt actually, you know, I, I, I the numbers do do give Pacheco the slight advantage. Uh, Kareem Hunt's like point oh four des- uh, yards behind him uh, per carry. Um, so Kareem Hunt is rookie year when he led the NFL in rushing, uh, Pacheco averaged more yards per carry than Kareem Hunt did that year. I think it's just a testament to, you know, the, the hype that surrounded Pacheco in the, in, in the preseason. I think the reason it was, it happened is because this could be possible and it just took a while to get to the point where he looks like a, you know, a, a guy that could, he almost got a thousand total yards. I think he was just short. Um, I think he got to nine sixty on the year. Um, but Brett Veach talked about having a thousand yard back in the, in an undrafted free agent class or the seventh round. He said that before the draft, if you, if anyone recalls way back when, and he spoke it into existence because Pacheco just comes in and, and just, you know, does something, you know, gets nearly a thousand yards. And again, it's, it's not just counting stats, right? It's, it's efficiency. So if he, you know, if he got the year, if he started the year as a starter, who knows, you know, how, how much he could have racked up counting stats wise. So it's good to see. It was cool to see. Yeah, he really came on as the year went along. I think there was times early in the season when we thought that the preseason hype had gone way too far on Pacheco uh, and that he was, you know, running right. in the backs of linemen and not really sure what, what he was doing maybe uh, from an NFL uh, right. you know, team standpoint. Um, but he grew into that role. You saw him l- learn some patience and learn some, some really get his timing down on the blocks, uh, really picking the holes properly. I think there's – there's a lot to be said for for his development from the mental processing standpoint, and then he just has that burst and that just drive to like make every single centimeter he can get on every single carry, and and get there as quick as he possibly can. Once he sets that block up, once he's got that opening, exploding through it, finishing, you know, keeping those legs driving. I mean, I think all of those things are just really real positive things that are sustainable those are things that that keep running backs in the league um for for years and so he looks like a guy you can build your running back room around next year and it raises a lot of questions about the rest of the running back room um but because you had you know you had Clyde Edwards-Alaire start off the season as your guy he averaged 4.3 yards per carry so not quite as good uh as Pacheco but not bad either uh, you know, Clyde had six total touchdowns in the early part of the season, which was a, a pretty good showing for him. He was a red zone threat, um, but then goes on IR, and to the best we can we can figure out has now passed the window where he could be activated and is likely done for the season. We'll see what happens with with this room next year, but you've got you know two young players there that both you know, have, have shown something. And, and you can argue now that Pacheco has shown a little bit more than Clyde has at any point in his career. Uh, so you have to think that uh, that combination is what you're going to start off with next year. 
uh, but it might be it might be in a different order than it was this year. Right. Yeah, because I think you know Clyde's only in his or is it next year his fourth year um, in in the NFL or yeah his fourth year so he's got that that one more year left um uh because they did not did they pick up the fifth year option i feel like i'm yeah i gotta know that right yeah they did um, not yeah right but this is also this stat is also an offensive line stat because as much as pacheco has has grown over the year or uh you know progressed over the year i do think the run blocking has just com- gelled more and more and has just really hit a stride the, down the stretch that it just seems like they're getting you know six yards at, at, at ease pretty much whenever they need to, um, especially on early downs. I know, you know, I, I know it feels like short yardage, you know, there, there's still some things where, you know, you'd like them to be a little more, um, you know, efficient and they, they trust the pass a little more than probably they, they need to at times still, but this is an offensive line stat. And I really think Pacheco has, he went to Rutgers. I don't think he had the greatest, um, you know, prep for the NFL in terms of, of, of run blocking and, 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 and lanes to see. And I think, having that really good run blocking is allowing him to progress as well. And it's just, they're both making each other really good. It's kind of, you know, they just, you know, kind of over and over again. And, and it's just going to lead into the playoffs with a, with some momentum here. If, if we have catchphrases for the season of this podcast, one of mine has been as the offensive line and as Trey Smith goes, the running back room goes, right? So yep. <laughs> if you get Trey Smith working and putting people on their backs um, oh yeah! It doesn't matter who the running back is; they're going to get yardage, and and he's been outstanding. Obviously, the rest of the interior line. Uh, if you look at some of the season long numbers, uh, they are consistently ranked at the top of each of their respective positions. You could easily have argued that all three deserve to be Pro Bowlers and potential All Pros. This is a a stellar interior offensive line, which makes this offensive line as a whole one of the best units in the league, even if there's questions at tackle. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, we talk about Trey Smith. He's really hit a stride, uh, you know, down the stretch because I think he's healthier, right? I think there, he was banged up earlier in the season at times. So is Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown was banged up with a little bit of a knee issue uh, earlier in the season. And I know that wasn't necessarily the case against the Bengals, which we saw some bad reps. So that's not to excuse him, but it is to say. It's well, Tooney was out. Yeah, and that's Tooney. Better. Right, exactly. Tooney's another one. To, to So it is. that's why this bye week is important, but. If they all are, if Tooney gets back going and feels good by divisional round, you're kind of hitting every, you know, everyone's kind of hitting it, you know, in full health and everything. And that's, that's where you want to be, obviously. So, um, well, another running, let me go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say stick with the running back stats and let's talk about touchdowns. Yeah, I know. Jarek McKinnon, man, touchdown machine here. Um, He joined Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Kill, Kareem Hunt, and Jamal Charles. As the only Andy Reid era Chiefs players to score double digit regular season touchdowns. And that's pretty amazing to me. He scores, you know, seven touchdowns in the red zone, which, you know, the Chiefs are uh, the Chiefs led the league in red zone touchdowns this year. Travis Kelsey had 10 to lead the NFL in red zone touchdowns. Jerick McKinnon was in a tie for second in the league with seven red zone touchdowns this year. Just unbelievable the impact he made, especially down the stretch. Um, most of his touchdowns, I'm trying to get the exact number here, but most of his touchdowns came down the stretch. Only, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, only like one or uh, a few of his touchdowns came uh, early in the season before Clyde's injury. So that's the thing. That's why we talk about Clyde, you know, his role kind of at the beginning of the year. He had a few red zone touchdowns. Jarek just seamlessly uh, stepped into it, and they've just utilized it, hammered it over and over whenever they get down there. You know, I I, I do think it'd be nice to see them trust the run game more. I do. I think you need to do that in the postseason more. It's just, you know, less risky, in my opinion, if you can just pound it in behind Trey Smith and Creed like we were just talking about. But 
man, if you got a, a weapon like McKinnon who just finds his way, you know, into open space, you know, when there's not a lot of space to work with in the red zone, Mahomes finds him, man. It's 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 a great combination. It's pretty impressive when you look at the red zone efficiency. You know, there was most of the the season the Chiefs were in pretty good shape there. I think there was a a lull there towards yes. the end of the season where they they fell off a little bit. But if they've got uh, Kelsey, um, you've got McKinnon, and then again Clyde had six um, red zone touchdowns yeah. on his own. Yeah, and McCole Hardman had what I think it was four, if I remember right. Yeah, actually five. Yeah, five of his six touchdowns this year are in the red zone. So you've got a lot of those guys in, and if you look, there's a pattern there, right? It's your it's your shiftier guys that can that are in space. Um, um, it's not necessarily your jump ball, fade route type guys that were catching those passes. It's the guys that know, like you said, how to operate in limited space, how to find that open spot, how to keep moving, keep the play alive. Because Mahomes does that better than anybody else, and you saw it against the Raiders in the first touchdown to McKinnon. Yep. Mahomes scrambles to his left and, uh, and waits until the whole defense comes his way before he flips it in the end zone to McKinnon. So um, it's nice to see them execute there and to have just a wide variety of players that are red zone threats. So when they get the ball down there, uh, it's not going to be super predictable. You're not going to know exactly right. who they're going to go to. Um, I will point out one more stat about McKinnon from our guy, Matt McMullen at the, at the mothership, as we used to call it uh, on Arrowhead pride at the, at the, from the chief's PR staff, Jarek McKinnon finished the regular season with nine receiving touchdowns. The first running back in the NFL to catch nine or more touchdowns in the season since Marshall Falk in 2001. So mentioning McKinnon in the same breath as Marshall Falk sounds pretty, uh, pretty ridiculous. Uh, But, uh, but he he was that good this season in that specific uh, aspect of the game. Yeah, no, he really was. And, and, and I actually, I don't know if I mentioned it on here. I I talked about it on our uh, AP radio last week, which make sure you're checking. Um, It's on the podcast channel too. Uh, with Pete Sweeney on, on 610 Sports. Um, the fact that McKinnon was split out wide uh, against, uh, was it Denver at home uh, a couple weeks ago? And he actually ran like a deep in route and gained like 20 yards on it. Um, I don't know if anyone caught that, but he's he's very versatile, man. And they're just only going to, and and when I say versatile, I also am talking about, uh, and I know we're going to talk about Snow Globe, but, you know, taking snaps too. And, and actually I got a red zone article coming out and I'll, and I'll talk about that, but McKinnon can do a lot in the red zone more than you'd even think, uh, you know, to, you know, from any running back. So it, it, it is an exciting thing for, for a guy like Andy Reed to mess with. And for a guy that we didn't even know would be on the roster this year, that was sort of a last minute, you know, Hey, they resigned McKinnon. We're like, okay, yeah, sure. Great. You know, know right. But, but it worked out. Uh, he's been the guy coming down the stretch, just like he was last year. And, and hopefully that continues on through the playoffs. Well, sticking on the offensive side of the ball, um, a couple other stats that I thought were fun. Um, first of all, just looking at the playoff picture and, and Patrick Mahomes, I couldn't help but laugh when I saw that Patrick Mahomes at age 27 is the oldest AFC quarterback that made the playoffs. Um, that was from our guy Keaton on Twitter. I thought that was uh, – I had to kind of do a double take. I'm like, wait, is that right? And luckily he said AFC only because obviously the NFC right. has, has the oldies uh, in there. But yeah. uh, but at 27 years old, he's the oldest. You can flip that and say he's also by far the most experienced quarterback in the AFC playoffs and the one with 
by far the most postseason games and and wins and and stats. Right. Um, he's seen it and done it all already at age 27. He's won a Super Bowl. Uh, he's lost a Super Bowl. Um, he's you know come back from from massive deficits in the playoffs. This is a a seasoned veteran in his age 27 season uh, like no other. Yeah, you know, what's funny, too, is like it's not like it's some, okay, just none of the older quarterbacks got in. Like, look at the AFC. There's no older quarterbacks there anymore. I mean, Mahomes really is the oldest quarterback of any, you know, solidified starting quarterback in the AFC. I mean, you know, Ryan Tannehill is is on his way out of Tennessee, I would imagine. You know, they got to start rebuilding. They just fired everybody this week, so I imagine that's going down. You know, uh, there's no more Big Ben in, in, in Pittsburgh, right? And, uh, you know, Derek Carr, he's on his way out there. Who knows where he's going to end up? Maybe he ends up on another AFC team, but I'm not, you know, I don't – it would be kind of cool to see him on a, you know, with a, you know, with a, a better team around him, although the Raiders aren't a bad team by any, by any stretch of the means uh, around a quarterback. But anyway, it is interesting. It is, it is, it is fascinating. I like that stat, Stacks. And now also from Pete Sweeney on Twitter, the Chiefs this year set a franchise record – for the most yards in franchise history, seven, uh, 7,032. Wait, is that right? 7,032 yards in 2022. Yeah, I mean, that sounds right, yeah. Going over the record they set in 2018. Um, so, yes, that 2018 team probably could have beaten this uh, this record uh, had they had one more game to play, like the 17-game season uh, the Chiefs just had. But – to, again, to think about this being a rebuilding year, this being the first year without Tyreek Hill, this being a year where uh, you didn't have a really clear, you know, number one wide receiver uh, for for them to to eclipse their yardage total in the most prolific offense we've we've seen uh, in in Kansas City in in decades. Uh, that was uh, pretty cool to see. Yeah, I because I, I do think this offense it's probably the most comparable Chiefs offense has been to 2018 because I think since 2018 teams have respected Mahomes so much that you just haven't been able to be, you know, as just, I, I, I would say cumulative, I would say, because now you're seeing Mahomes break the record for most total yards of any quarterback in NFL history. I mean, it goes hand in hand. They've just been just not been able to be stopped. I, I saw something where it's a historic season for Mahomes in terms of first down conversion rate, right? Like how many first downs he gets per snap or per attempt, right? So it's it's definitely the most uh, just consistently uh, good, I guess, the offense has been since 2018. And I'm glad the stats reflect that because it does – I feel like the eye test shows that too. And it's just a testament to Mahomes because this is the first year that he hasn't had Tyreek Hill. And, and obviously you pointed at that. So that's just – it is crazy. It is crazy. And speaking of Tyreek Hill, you do have to laugh that uh, Jarek McKinnon – scored nine touchdowns this season uh, as a backup running back or situational <laughs> running back. And Tyreek Hill had seven touchdowns uh, in a record-breaking uh, season for him, which is he had 1,700 total yards himself, 119 receptions. Uh, so obviously a big year for Tyreek. No, no shade being thrown at him. But it's just, to me, that speaks to how they made up for the production loss with Tyreek Hill. 11 different Chiefs catching touchdown passes, uh, you very frequently had 10 in a game that would catch a pass uh, for, from Patrick Mahomes, uh, including the game. Was it last week when it was 11 because Mahomes caught a pass himself? Yeah. Uh, that he threw. <laughs> so it was uh, it was one of those seasons where, you know, they, they didn't necessarily have this uh, standout number one wide receiver, but they just threw the ball 
to everybody everywhere all the time. And, and it worked. Um, and, and that's a testament to the offensive line. It's a testament to the play callers. It's a testament uh, most of all to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And you've said it, but it, it really does give you a layer of unpredictability that maybe they didn't have before. And especially in a postseason game, especially after a bye week, you know, the way, the way you can game plan. Yeah. I, I think they're well set up for the postseason. But I'll flip to defense and, and, get, and rattle off some defensive stats, you know, because we've got to give some love to a guy like Chris Jones, who tied his single season career high for sacks with 15 and a half this year. He got, to t- he got there with two and a half in week 18, which I, you know, I, if anyone caught it on the broadcast, I mean, dude was hustling, knowing he could get him, knowing the Raiders offensive line was allowing him for some reason, the center was just not giving the guard any help or it was maybe the guard just didn't just couldn't handle it, but Chris Jones was huffing and puffing at the end of the game. You, know, you see him on the sideline getting oxygen. So he has 15 and a half this year, but Stags, 13 and a half of them came in the last 12 games. So that's more than one a game, obviously. He just really turned on and, and, and started on a tear. He had a sack in at least 10 of his last 12 games to end the year. Just super consistent. Something that we weren't able to always say about Chris Jones was consistency. So he has, he's become the model of consistency, it seems like. And I know we got a question about him later, but uh, what have you seen about what do you like about Chris Jones' year? Yeah, I mean, consistently unblockable. Uh, I, I think yeah. that's that's true. And and you watching just destroying double teams, um, but also you got to love how he's closing out games. He closed this one out, not that it needed it, but he closed this one out with a sack, and and he's done so uh, a number of times coming down the stripes. So not only is he the best pass rusher on this team, the best interior pass rusher in the NFL at this point, uh, or at least this season, um, should be first-team All-Pro, whether he gets that or not. He's uh, certainly deserving uh, of a big contract, and I think that's a, uh, that's the question that we have later we'll talk about. But monster season, hopefully you'll see some more playoff success from him uh, as we go through this year. Well, you know, we, we, we've, we've kept track of this all year. I've been keeping track for you, for the people that the batted down passes just got to give a little update as the season comes to a close. George Karloftis was leading all year, but Carlos Dunlap snuck up at the very last second. And now according to PFF, Carlos Dunlap is the NFL leader and passes uh, defend or passes batted down at the line of scrimmage with eight this year by himself. Karloftis finished in a tie with the Cardinals, Zach Allen with a seven right behind him. So, the last stat of the week, Stags. Just had to give a shout out on that. That uh, that uh, you know, it was, it was a theme of the year, and it was cool to see the two Chiefs kind of battling out at the end there. Yeah, I mean, Chris Jones is going to give a lot of the credit for his success to the new uh, defensive line coach uh, Joe Cullen, yes. and I think he did a great job. And I think a lot of the the just the play of the defensive line is really elevated, especially over the second half of the season. So it's it's Dunlap was great. I think his contributions this year were more than Melvin Ingram's were last year, uh, mm-hmm. as much as we, we gave praise to him. Um, it is a – but it's not just Dunlap. It's not just Chris Jones. Uh, it is Mike Dana getting there, getting home from inside. Uh, you've got uh, really contributions across the board. And and I want to give uh, some more credit to to my guy, the person who I've, I wanted the Chiefs to draft. I've been 100% on board with this guy since he was at Purdue. Uh, George Karloftis – uh, finishing, as you noticed, uh, second in the uh, in the league in batted passes, also had um, you know also had a, a good rookie season across the board. And if you compare him against some of the greats, this is a tweet from uh, Lance at the Spoken or at Lance the Spoken. 
Uh, if you're comparing rookie seasons, you can't compare these guys, but TJ Watt had seven sacks, 10 tackles for loss, 13 hits his rookie season. Justin Houston, five and a half sacks, 10 tackles for loss, nine quarterback hits. George Karloftis, his rookie season, six sacks, eight tackles for loss, 11 quarterback hits. And as you mentioned, seven uh, batted passes. Uh, I, I tweeted out at during this Raiders game that this is the point where he has now exceeded what should should have been reasonable expectations for him this season. And I, I said facetiously, obviously, that I was always on board with the draft pick. I think I've, <laughs> I've been uh, consistently uh, called out for that take. But when the Chiefs drafted him, I said, this is a four to six sack type of guy in the NFL. Uh, he's not a dynamic speed rusher. And I was worried that he would get uh, swallowed up by NFL blocking. At least the last part, I think he's proven wrong. I think he's proven that he can beat NFL blocking. Uh, and he got to that six sack mark in his rookie season, which bodes well for his future, that he may be able to, to go above and beyond that. Uh, really good rookie season for, for him. Very well-rounded rookie season. Did a little bit of everything. Played solid on the edge. Played solid against the run. Obviously, effort level was, was fantastic. Uh, so got to give some credit to our guy, George Karloftis. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I'm glad you gave him a shout out. I think what we learned this year, because we always we were, we were always worried about the ceiling, how high the ceiling is. And I think we still need to worry about that. I think that's still something to concern them, ourselves with. But I think what we learned is the floor is a lot higher. And I think that's basically what it's just a way to sum up what you just said. The floor is a lot higher than we realized and um, yeah, he was he was ready to roll. And I'm, I am excited to see what he looks like in a couple of years after, you know, NFL weight room. You know, he's the type of guy that could be, you know, a lot stronger in a couple of years and, and really just be hard to block at any point. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for Carl. Off to and several have, have pointed out his his speed rush or his you know, kind of dip or dip and bend ability. That was the weakest part of his game. Uh, and it seems like he's working on that. And it seems like he's had a couple of reps this last few weeks where he's gotten around a blocker on the outside and, and it gives you some hope uh, for the future there. Shout out Bobby Strope. He's, he's working with him and, <laughs> and, we, and we know he's going to make him. Yeah. He's, he's going to make it good there. Hey, if, if he can get Patrick Mahomes to balance on, on one elbow uh, and die for the end zone, like he did a couple of weeks ago, right. Uh, you know, that's, <laughs> that should be in his commercials going forward for, for his, uh, uh, for his business. Right. Uh, speaking of rookies uh, performing, how about Trent McDuffie on defense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, quick stat. Trent McDuffie is allowing a catch on 57.8% of the passes thrown to him in coverage. Every other Chiefs cornerback's allowing at least 65% completion rate uh, when targeted. So I think that just tells you that McDuffie really is a shutdown corner of the group. The statistics show it, and, and the eye test shows it. He doesn't have any interceptions this year, but he has two that – seemed like he could clearly i mean he had one this last week too so yeah i don't know it, it could have been a it would have been nice to have those two interceptions in his box score too but he's had a really really impressive rookie year he has for a guy that missed a lot of the rookie season um really like you said if he had brought in that pass this week which was just you know <laughs> right in his chest and then he had the one earlier in the year that i think hit him in the face so yes. he's, he's uh uh for a guy who the coaches said had the best ball skills in the uh defensive backfield uh, it's unfortunate that he wasn't able to convert on those, but he, I think he is your best cover corner, even, 
And that's saying something with Legarius Sneed on, on board because we've questioned Sneed's coverage in the past, but you started to hear it from uh, opposing players and from coaches that Sneed, especially in the slot, is one of the better cover corners uh, in the league. And then they started allowing Sneed to cover the other team's best receiver and, and trail that guy. So it's very clear that the team sees Sneed as their as their top corner, as their number one. Uh, but McDuffie went on the outside, especially, and maybe you could you've noticed some of this on on film review. But I think when McDuffie's on the outside, he's probably the stickiest guy they have in in pure coverage. In the slot, you know, the, there may be a little bit of work to do for for McDuffie, but. Uh, and that's where Snead has excelled. So it, to me, it seems very clear that you keep Snead in the slot and McDuffie on the outside, but it it hasn't exactly gone that way. So what what do you think as far as that? that yeah, I know. Different yeah, I know we got to get to break, but I would actually completely disagree with what you just said. Um, I I really think they've had Snead in the slot because he's he's really good around the line of scrimmage. He's really good closer to the box, and he can – cover he's fast right he's super fast he has length to disrupt routes and stuff but when you see sneed struggle it is against those shifty receivers that, that that play in the slot you know the natural slot receiver you're talking about your christian kirks who gave him the business the last the, when the jaguars played earlier in arrowhead stadium he gave sneed all he could handle um keenan allen is the same type of way you know sneed sneed you know his his change of direction you know leaves a little to be desired i would say um in terms of, of stickiness and that's where Trent mcduffie comes in I would say Trent McDuffie is a better matchup in those. And that's, I think, what they're seeing and why they're putting McDuffie in the slot more because he's probably a better – you said sticky. I love using that word for McDuffie because he is stickier. And that's what you want in slot because you have a two-way go. You just need to be able to stay on a guy. It, it's, it's hard. You don't have that sideline to help you. Sneed on the outside, he's not as sticky, but he has those long arms that can press you, disrupt your routes off the line of scrimmage. He's built well so he can deal with the DK Metcalfs, the Cortland Suttons, the T Higgins, and he's fast. So if they, you know, he, he can obviously beat them down the field. So I would say that I love what they're doing and I love that they realize that this is probably a better way to go about it, depending on the receiver matchup. It's not, you know, you don't have to do it every single, you know, um, of rep, but it just depends, you know, and, and, and some teams like the Bengals, it's kind of, you know, pick your poison because Chase is just as physical in the slot. And so, you know, he could overwhelm McDuffie in there too. Um, but he's quick too. So he could, you know, you know, beat Snead out of his shoes as well. So it's, it's just one of those things, but yeah, I actually think McDuffie fits better in the slot for coverage and, and it allows Snead to use his physicality and length on the outside. And I think that's a better matchup for some of these bigger receivers and, and it allows McDuffie to be in a, a, put in a better position. It seems like that's the way the, the team's going, at least that's, that's the direction uh, that they're trending right now and heading into the postseason. Uh, they're going to have some tough matchups when it comes to receivers in the postseason. They, they've, uh, They've done well. They did well this week against Devontae Adams. They did well uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, against uh, uh, the the top receivers on a team. But you're about to face, you know, either the Bills or the Bengals at some point, uh, potentially facing the Chargers. And you've yeah. got some big-bodied guys that, that can get down the field uh, and can be a real problem, even if you have good coverage on them. So we'll see uh, how that all plays out. I was actually referring to a quote, though, from Spagnolo a few weeks ago had said that he is the best, that Snead was the best slot corner cover slot corner he's ever worked with. Uh, and, and that's saying a lot because Spagnuolo has really had 
some some big names in in the past in in those positions. So, you know, it, it is interesting to see how Snead can really do a little bit of everything, and it's yeah. just how do you best utilize him right. in context of who else do you have in those other roles? I think you've you it, there's been this trend towards Jalen Watson on the outside and um, uh, a little bit less of Joshua Williams, uh, but that rotation will continue. But at least you know you've got you know your two lockdown corners in different ways, maybe. With, yeah, with yeah. yeah. No, I, they complement each other. I would say. All right, let's let's head to break. Um, I know we've got uh, a lot of your great questions from Twitter to get to, so we'll we'll get into those as we go to break. We always do a would you rather, and lately it's been the same topic every time, which is perfectly <laughs> fine with us because. Uh, that's that's what we really want to talk about. So uh, I think, Ron, the would you rather this week came from a question, right? Yes. Yeah. Shout out New Jericho man at FF Ball Appraiser. He actually gave us a few questions, but and then this is it, Stags. He says, do we want to play the Chargers in the playoffs or not? So my simple question is, assuming the Bills and Bengals both take care of business in the wild card round, would you rather play the Jaguars or Chargers? Whoever wins that game heads to Arrowhead. If I again, if the Bills and Bengals both win, so we will answer that on the other side of the break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team. Now, more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we're back on the Out of Structure podcast. Thanks for sticking with us as we get to your questions uh, on the second half of this pod, and then we'll look ahead at the postseason matchups. Postseason matchups were the topic of the "Would You Rather" this week, and it's not the easiest question in the in the world. Would you rather play the Jaguars or Chargers in the second round, uh, assuming everything else goes according to plan? It is a. It to me seems pretty straightforward because the Chargers have been a tough matchup for the chiefs. They're a division rival. They, they know this team pretty well. And they have those two big receivers that are just a lot to handle. Um, I'm going to say it's the Jaguars that I would rather see. And, but, but the Jaguars are playing some good football as of late and the Chargers have, have not even made the playoffs in recent years. So you, you don't know exactly what to expect there. Uh, the Chargers seem to find a way to, to, to charger right in the end they they find a way to to, to blow it so um the chiefs obviously dominate their division they they went undefeated in the division again this year uh you know you, you would think in some ways they've got the chargers number but 
I think the Jaguars are probably the weaker team going into the into the playoffs, maybe the more surprising that they're there uh, this season. So I'm going to lean towards the Jags. I don't know if you have a strong preference. So, yeah, you look at the playoffs, right? And, and, and typically I'll see – I'll go, hey, who's the better quarterback head coach combo? And, and that's typically – you know, it, it's typically who is who wins in the playoffs. I mean, let's be honest. Um, and you look at Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence compared to Brandon Staley and, and Justin Herbert. I would give maybe that edge, if you're talking about a combo, to the Jaguars, right? I think Lawrence is playing to a similar level as Herbert, and Doug Peterson's just a better coach. I mean, Brandon Staley, you know, what are you doing playing guys in Week 18? You know, you know Mike Williams sounds to be okay, but good God. I mean, just I, I, you know, he acts like he doesn't know how to rest starters. Anyway, all that to say, Staley may not be a good head coach. He's a dang good defensive coordinator, dang good defensive play caller, and he does know how to scheme up and, and get ready for the Chiefs. I mean, I know the Chiefs have beaten them. It has been it has been slim. You have mentioned it. It has been very slim. The Chargers are, you know, have definitely always they always are in those games. You know, Jalen Watson pick six in week two is the only reason why, you know, the Chiefs were able to pull that out pretty much. I mean, the Chargers were about to score. I I would way rather play the Jaguars. I think anyone who who would rather see the Chargers if, if they had the choice is crazy, in my opinion, <laughs> because especially when you think about the pass rushing situation here. And that's really my thing throughout the entire playoffs. As long as let's try to avoid the best pass rush as possible, because these offensive tackles look really good when they're not facing who the Chargers have, Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. So, Stags, that's my that's that's my main point there. You know who I don't want to face on the Chargers is Derwin James. Yeah, uh, that guy was in the last couple of matchups has been just all over the field, and and what he takes away is the Chiefs' counter to that pass rush. So the pass rush getting home can be an issue, right? Uh, those great edge players can be an issue. But the, to counteract that is the dump off to the, to the running back. It's the screen game. It's those quick, out, quick throws to the wide receivers. The James is just all over when he plays the Chiefs. And so that's what, that's what worries me about the Chiefs offense against the Chargers defense is that eraser that comes over the field if you look back, you know, to the to the Bengals games and to the even all the way back to the Tampa uh, Super Bowl, what is the Achilles heel for this Chiefs offense is if both the pass rush gets home and they're all over the short routes. Yeah, that, good if, point. If the pass rush is getting home, you can't throw deep. If the if they're blowing up the short routes, then you can't throw short. Then all of a sudden, this team is stuck uh, trying to run the ball. Uh, when they don't really run the ball um, or or throwing right into the teeth of the defense. So uh, I I do worry about that matchup still with the Bengals uh, whenever the Chiefs play them and uh, with the Chargers. That's a really good point, Sags. It's a a very good point. And it's something that the Chargers, Derwin James, he's one of them. But they do have some veteran linebackers too. I know Drew Drew Tranquil is not the, the, the best player, but you flip to the side of the Jaguars. They have rookie linebackers. They have safeties that don't really make plays as much. Yeah, I, I think any way you look at this matchup, I think you'd rather see the Chargers. But that does beg the question. Hey, if we were to get lucky, Stags, if, if, and, and you know, I don't know how lucky. I do want to see the matchup. Right? I do want to see you know Bills or, or Bengals in the AFC Championship. But if you could see only one of the Bills or Bengals tripped up this weekend, which would you pick? And we can't get lucky with both. But if the Bills get upset, it automatically sends Miami to Kansas City, which, hey, Tyreek back in Arrowhead, that'd be pretty fun. If the Bengals get upset, it would send the Ravens to Kansas City as long as the Bills won as well. Um, 
So I don't know. What are you thinking? And and who would you rather see kind of uh, take a, a dip out or who maybe has a better chance? I don't know. You can take it however way you want. Man, I, I don't see either of these things happening. Obviously, I know. Me neither. <laughs> it's, it's really hard to imagine uh, wins from either of these teams, the way that they're currently playing. And both have had quarterback injuries coming coming down the stretch, which makes it really hard right. to, to imagine them getting back on track in time to win in the playoffs. Of those two, I would obviously the, the Ravens have uh, far less weapons on the offensive side of the ball. And I think you'd match up, you know, I've always said that I worry more about the Chiefs defense against the opponent's offense than I do about the Chiefs offense against any opponent's defense. And so in keeping with that theme, I think the Chiefs defense is better equipped to stop the Ravens right now than they are to stop the Dolphins. Um, if Tua's healthy, if uh, Lamar Jackson's healthy, and those guys happen to win. So I'd probably rather see the Bengals lose, the Ravens come to Kansas City, uh, and then key in for that uh, Buffalo AFC Championship game potential. Well, let me play a little 4D chess with you because, uh, you know, I, I'm with you. I, I, I think if the Bengals do lose, you, you have the Bills go to the second round and they're hosting – the Jaguars or Chargers. I think either of those teams could give the Bills a run for their money. And I would actually think the Chargers could too. Um, I would say the Bengals too. I think the Chargers are, are could compete with that. I, I think at this point, Chargers are in the playoffs. They're going to compete. They're going to be a hard team to beat. You know, they, they are healthier than other times. So I don't know. It, it is interesting because, yeah, if one of those things happen, you know, you get the Chargers if they win, obviously, if, if they do win, getting to that second round against Bills or Bengals. And then you know, they could pull off that upset and all of a sudden you get Chiefs Chargers in the AFC Championship at Arrowhead. That would be uh, that would be quite the uh, quite the story. All right. So in that so you're saying in this scenario, the uh, the Bills lose to the Dolphins and then the Chargers are the low or sorry, the Dolphins are the lower seed. So then the Chargers would play the Bengals. Yeah, it's just yeah. Whoever, like if if one of these upsets happened, the Chargers, if they won, would play the Bills or Bengals. Whoever didn't just get upset. I see. So yeah, that'd be interesting. I it's it's hard to imagine it. I feel like I, I just always have this bias that the Chargers are overrated and like oh yeah, it's and really hard are. for me to 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 rate them properly uh, at this point. But uh, I a lot of different scenarios, and we'll talk about our predictions uh, later on and kind of what the ideal scenario is that, that comes up. In fact, uh, let's just jump to that. How about the Schwinner's question at Schwin Jack on Twitter? What is the best case scenario for the playoffs? First of all, I think they're setting up the best case scenario already. They're sitting in what is a what is the best case scenario that we could have imagined for, for this season for the most part. Because they got the first round by, first and foremost, that's that's critical to just cut out one leg of the playoffs, uh, one chance to be upset or, or something to, to go wrong or somebody right. to get hurt. I mean, it is it is a massive deal to get that bye week. That's, that's number one, that's the best. Um, number two, in a close second, is not having to play both the Bills and the Bengals in these playoffs. Uh, the, the nightmare scenario for me was having to play both the Bills and the Bengals to get to the Super Bowl. Now that that's eliminated – they're sitting in good shape with those two things happening. I think the best case scenario is to play the Jaguars in the second round uh, and then probably the Bills in the championship game uh, to move forward. Um, and that game would be potentially, according to Albert Breer on Twitter, that could potentially be in Pasadena, uh, which would be a, 
uh, a warm game. You don't have to worry about weather so much. You've got uh, you know neutral sites, so it's not like uh, obviously it's not as good as being an Arrowhead, but it's not as bad as going to Buffalo. So uh, to me, that's that's probably my best case scenario. Uh, just avoiding both the Bills and the Bengals, using that bye week and, and getting to, to potentially the Pasadena. Uh, what's your best case scenario? I mean, it's 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 pretty much that. I mean, I would say, uh, and I do think the, I think the Chiefs. I would rather see the Bills uh, if I was the Chiefs. I think they. I think I'd rather just play them instead of the Bengals. But you do get the Bengals at home if they're in the AFC Championship. If the, if the Bengals at the AFC Championship, you get them at home in Arrowhead, and I do think that's a pretty big advantage. Obviously, it wasn't last year. Um, it wasn't enough of an advantage, but. It'd be nice to kind of correct those demons in front of the crowd, in front of in front of the Arrowhead faithful. Yeah, I'd say that's the most uh, ideal. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that argument for sure, and and I can easily talk myself into that, saying right three times in a row, you know, basically a field goal difference facing uh, this team. Um, it is uh, got to be a great source of frustration for this team, and you you got to think that they're they would love to exercise those demons and and take it out take out those frustrations on the Bengals at Arrowhead to get to the Super Bowl. That's a pretty good scenario. I just feel like it's a bad matchup. But Yeah, yeah but I'm I, with you. But I could see – it's obviously a bad matchup. They've lost the last three, but <laughs> in the same calendar year. But, hey, it's a new calendar year. Uh, maybe things will go differently this time. Uh, but, uh, anyway, let's get to some more mailbag questions. There's a ton of them here. Uh, Thomas Ramirez, again, as always, with the good questions. What was more impressive, the season that Patrick Mahomes had this year or the snow globe play versus the Raiders? Wow. You know, what's impressive about the snow globe play is, is how triggered it made uh, people that weren't even in the game. Uh, Broncos right guard Quinn Miners was, was very – apparently pissed him off, quote-unquote, even though this dude was playing an entirely different game at the – well, I guess it was – okay, sorry. It was the day after. Sorry, not at the same time. He was able to watch it, but – just hilarious that the, that the Broncos, I mean, I don't know. I just, and we're in their head. We live rent free. And that was my favorite part of the snow globe play. So, you know what? I will say that's more impressive because it was so good. So triggering that people that weren't even in the game, not even on defense, not even on defense stags, not even a defender, an <laughs> offensive player cared that much. So I, I, I got to give it to the snow globe play. Yeah. I think the Broncos are having flashbacks to Don, Don Tari Poe. Oh and, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the trick play on the goal line when you're up by a lot is just an Andy Reid special at this point. It it's got to be to me, by the way, the reasoning behind all of that, it's got to be just like, let's let the guys have some fun, right? The, and of course, put something on tape that's that somebody's going to have to try to try to review uh, or, or prepare for. Yeah. Do they have a second wrinkle coming out of that formation that they didn't show? Like if they if they ran that same spinning a huddle and then did some, you know, ran the ball or something, did a handoff (laughs) like that direct snap to McKinnon and he just runs it in would be, would be pretty hilarious to see in the playoffs as an unscouted look. But, you know, unfortunately that play didn't count for, because for some reason the refs thought that a pancake was the same thing as a hold uh, when it came to uh, uh, the best center in the NFL uh, so that play didn't count. The next one went in for a touchdown. So I'm going to say Mahomes' season was more impressive because he oh. really spread the ball around. He grew within the, the the mental aspects of being a quarterback. He learned, you know, he, he played patient. He played fairly consistent. There was a couple of games where he wasn't at his best, but 
for the most part, he didn't have the lull in the season as badly as it happened last year. Again, spreading the ball around to an insane degree to accomplish what they did, what he did to break the NFL record for the most yardage by a quarterback in one season without Tyreek Hill, who put up 1,700 yards uh, on a bad, uh, you know, an often bad Dolphins team. Uh, the season he's had has been unbelievable. And I think uh, he absolutely should be the MVP. It should be unanimous, even though it won't be. Uh, but I, I hope that he does win that award because he deserves it for the work he did just across the board, which counted, and that play didn't count, so I'm going with Mahomes. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Well, what, what kind of questions we are you going to Jake Wilson's question? Well, you want to talk about the, the future with, with Jake Wilson? So Jake Wilson asked the Chiefs prioritizing long-term success with Mahomes or going all in. Now, of course, winning the Super Bowl is the goal every year, but how do you – reconcile the the two objectives of going all in and sustaining long-term success uh let's start there before we get to the second half of this question this was clearly a year where that balancing act was important for the chiefs front office for the coaching staff for for the players on the field um it sure seems like they prioritize long-term success over going all in and it paid off for them so far yeah, well, I think the question reconciling it, I think that is part of the second question, which is what level of victory signals a successful year? Because we do need to under, you know, we we need to remember back as Chiefs fans back to the offseason and remember what our expectations were. I don't think there was there was plenty of people that 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 were fine and 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 you know maybe I was one of them. That this team always has a Super Bowl ceiling, but there there was plenty of people who said, hey, look, you know, we can't expect to win the Super Bowl this year. They're you know, kind of in rebuild mode, you know, there, there could be some struggles, you know, all that. And so it's important to kind of remember that perspective because now that we're here, they are the one seed. They are, you know, what seemingly, you know, set up to be the team in the Super Bowl, but you know, they, they still struggled against the teams they needed to beat this year, the Bills and the Bengals. Um, and, and they are in rebuild mode more than those teams are. Those teams are in win now completion mode. So this is where I come to this. I would actually say as long as the Chiefs, get through the AFC and are the Super Bowl represent, represent representative. I do think that is a successful season. I know that's crazy because this team is Super Bowl or bust, but I do think with with what happened this offseason with with all the rookies inserted in this lineup with 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 all the changes, I think just defending their crown and, and kind of well not defending it, right, but taking it back, showing the AFC and and kind of, you know, taking back supremacy that saying, "Hey, you know, we're still here. You got, you know, we still haven't let the Bills get to the Super Bowl. We still haven't let Herbert get through to anything. We still, you know, Burrow, hey, you got lucky one year. That was a fluke, right? That's that's kind of what you'd say by getting back to the Super Bowl, even if you don't win it. So that's where I would say uh, it, it, a, a Super Bowl berth is at least a successful year. Yeah, I don't think I can – I can't bring myself to say out loud that anything short of winning the Super Bowl is a, is a success this year. You will look back and say, yeah, it was a good year. Uh, we, we did that last year. I said, yeah, they had a good season. You know, they, they didn't get it done when it mattered, but they had a good year. Uh, they fought through some stuff and, and you know, had a good year. But when you look at the legacy of Patrick Mahomes, at the idea of this being a dynasty or not, if they win the Super Bowl this year, dynasty is back on the table. Yes. If they if they don't, then, you know, you run the risk of, of having a run over a number of years where they got one title out of out of the the some of the best seasons that they've had in, in the history of the franchise. So um, I think they've got to win the Super Bowl this year for it to be uh, 
for the legacy, for the resounding success of, of the season. Um, they, but again, they, they clearly have looked at long-term sustained success as a goal. Right. And so I do think the goal is to be a dynasty, to be a dynasty. You have to win more than one Super Bowl. That's, that's just where I'm landing. Yeah, no, it's fair. It's completely fair. I think one part of this too, to be honest with these stags, if the Eagles are in the Super Bowl, I mean, even, I, you know, the Niners, I'd feel a lot better about, obviously, that we, we beat them earlier. But the, the Eagles, they have a really bad matchup for the Chiefs. I would say that. I I would not feel good about that matchup. I, I think the Eagles, if, if Hurts is healthy and everything, I could see them, you know, taking it to, uh, you know, make, giving us a game, I would say. So that, that's – Yeah, they're, they're I, such that, a well-rounded team. And that's the thing about right. the Eagles. There's not a lot of, like, holes on that roster. You don't look at them and say, well, they're yeah. they're not very good at – what what are they not very good at? I'm I'm not really sure. I guess I will say linebackers probably the one thing, and like Andy Reid can manipulate linebackers out out you know out the wazoo. But I mean I I just the receivers you know the run game with the quarterback run game you know we know the Chiefs defense can struggle against that. I don't know. I that's part of in the back of my head where I just feel like as long as they can get through the the gauntlet of the AFC, kind of prove they're the the kings of the AFC. If the Eagles have everything together and and and, and beat them in the Super Bowl, I don't know how much I'll be you know. I know it's very premature, so maybe we shouldn't even be talking about this. Yeah, right I was just saying, about three weeks we'll have this conversation. <laughs> right. uh, uh, let's, uh, for now, let's get to a couple more questions before we look ahead uh, to the playoffs. Uh, Devin Davis, general thoughts on the strides the defense has made. Uh, some confidence uh, should be mounting, even though that they've played some maybe not the best offenses. Um, yeah, defense has certainly come a long way, right? And, and it's, some of it's maturing of all the rookies that are playing, and some of it is is that pass rush and the defensive line really playing at a different level. Yeah. You know, Spags did talk about before the season. I, and I do remember this quote specifically because I thought it was interesting that he really does take that first quarter of the season to figure out, you know, what he's got, who they are. And you could imagine that with a lot of rookies on your team, it may even take longer than that, right? It may take closer to half the season to really figure out who you are, what you want to be. And it's hard to argue with the fact that it just seems like they really have hit a an, an effort level and energy level down the stretch these last three or four games that I don't think I was seeing in maybe the middle of the season. Um, in the in the beginning of the season, I think the energy effort level was there maybe, but all that to say, it does just seem like it's all coming together. Every level of the defense too, the secondary's playing well, the pass rush obviously gaining momentum, the linebackers making more plays. So yeah, I, I I actually yeah I, I I think it's I think you spot on rookies. You know, a lot of them in the defense. It's been 17 games now. They're not rookies anymore. I think uh, Justin Reed said that. It's true, man. It's true. Yeah, I do like how they they're a pretty balanced defense. You know, on all different levels, uh, there's something positive you can say about each level. Yep. Obviously, when the linebackers are in coverage, is maybe the 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 one weakness. When Darius uh, Harris is in coverage, which especially when that. Darius Harris is in coverage or slash in the game, uh, that that that's a weakness, but. Um, you know, I, I think they're, when they play clean football, when they tackle well and they don't get a lot of penalties, this is as good a defense as you need to win the Super Bowl. They do those things. They, they can cruise for the playoffs, uh, as long as they, as, as long as everything else works <laughs> the way it has been, the pass rush is there. Um, but really tackle and, and don't extend drives with penalties. I feel like they're going to get home. They're going to make enough stops to win. So when you're playing Buffalo, you need two, three stops in the game to win, right? And one of those is probably the very last drive of the game. If if you can if you can get stops on those particular drives without extending those 
right. with, with pass interference penalties. You got a really good shot there. Absolutely. Well, New Jericho man at, at uh, FF Ball appraiser. Did Chris Jones just play himself off the team with one year left on his deal, asking maybe for thirty million average uh, in new money? Is is his prediction? Uh, what do you think about Chris Jones and his future with the team? I mean, he is setting himself up very well this offseason to, you know, demand something, right? Um, you know, I he has 15 and a half sacks. He set a career high, which is what, four, five, yeah, five seasons after he did it the last time, which is pretty unheard of. You don't see pass rushers get their career high and then go four years and get it again, you know, that much later in their career, especially because Chris Jones wasn't like a rookie when he first said it. I mean, it was 2018. It was only his third year, and I guess he was pretty young back then, but, uh, all that to say is, 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 yeah, I mean, he, he has a great argument to say, look, I, you know, this is, I am still in my prime. You're getting me in my prime. I can still be in my prime. And I just showed it because even if he doesn't get 15 and a half sacks next year, you know, that no one should expect that. And so I don't know, it, it, he's setting himself up. Well, he is, he is, has high demand, but you know, it, we were talking, we were joking before the show, if there's a, you know, a buy sell game to play here, you know, if you could buy or sell, you know, uh, your shares of Chris Jones, you probably want to sell them right now because they're at their highest. And history would tell you he doesn't perform in the playoffs, unfortunately. I mean, I it, it's a weird history, but he doesn't have any sacks in the postseason. And, you know, the Super Bowl, he, he had a really impactful game without, you know, the one they won without um, getting a sack. But no sacks besides that stags. And that's where, you know, maybe history tells you this is where you need to jump off the uh, the stock. I don't know. What, do you, what can you tell us about that stag? I mean, his stock has peaked, but – It'll go to new heights. It'll break through that resistance level if he uh, if he gets a postseason performance the way his his recent games have been here. If he's the yeah. closer this year, if he's got the Frank Clark closer uh, mentality like he's had over the last few games, if he does that in the playoffs, uh, then yeah, there there's no there's no ceiling to his stock or his contract. Right. Yeah, he could fall off next year. And have ten sacks and still be the, yeah. the top two defensive lineman in the NFL. So I think he's going to get paid. Um, to me, it's all about looking forward. What do you want your off season to look like? There's one scenario where you've got Chris Jones in the bag, you've got George Karloftis on your team, and you're building a defensive line around them. And you can see that this year they had a lot of success plugging and playing a bunch of other defensive linemen. Uh, a lot of them on one-year deals, some on, on rookie contracts uh, around that core. Or do you want to start over next year with George Kaloftis being your best pass rusher and yeah. having to replace a guy like Chris Jones? So how do you replace somebody like Chris Jones? And how does that set your whole offseason back? If you want to address other priorities, if you want to invest in wide receiver, you want to invest in offensive tackle, Yeah, I'd like to do that with Chris Jones on this roster rather than trying to do that and replace Chris Jones. Uh, and when it comes to the Chiefs' history of paying guys, they generally don't pay players over age 28. But they've made one exception, and that was Travis Kelsey. Why would you make that exception? Because he's an exceptional teammate, and he's the best player at his position in the NFL and maybe in NFL history. Yep. Chris Jones is going to be over 28. History would say they might not pay him, but – he seems like an exceptional teammate and he's the best guy at his position in the NFL. So maybe that's where you make the exception. Uh, they'll have some cap flexibility this season. I don't think he's played himself off the roster. 
I think they need to to work with him and get a deal done. Yeah, and, and one thing I noticed too this year about Chris Jones is he played a lot. Uh, he played about 80% of the defensive snaps, which he doesn't have to do. Even when you do pay him, if you do pay him more this offseason, really lock him up and, and give him the right kind of deal, he doesn't have to be a guy that plays that much. You can have him situational way more. You know, Just invest in more defensive tackles in the draft. Get guys that can play your early downs, eat up snaps, um, you know, give you a little more pass rush juice than like a Derek Naughty did, did this year, right? But you can have guys that can take up snaps and then leave Chris Jones to be at his best, which is third down, pass downs, you know, taking on a guard, all that. So they can still do that. So even if, yeah, you're worried about age, at least they can tone down his snaps and still get just as good of an effect, right? I mean, I, I think you can still get just as impactful of a Chris Jones. Maybe, I guess, not against the run, because he is really good this year, both against the run and the pass, but what you pay him for is the pass rush, and you can still get that even if he, you know, the snaps are a little down maybe in future years. Yeah, if if he falls off and has ten sacks, you're still you're still pretty yes. happy with that yeah. uh, with that player. All right, quick injury update before we get to our predictions. Uh, Stefan at Casey Royalty twenty five. Do you see Hardman and Fordson on the roster for the playoff run? Well, the Chiefs answered this for us uh, not too long ago. They uh, activated McCall Hardman, uh, so we we do feel like. He's going to be available and, and probably a, a potentially a big factor. Uh, Jody Fortson went on IR in exchange for uh, McCall Hardman being activated, so so he won't yeah. be back. Um, but it also reminded us that there's one other player on IR that is apparently not coming back, but it has not been a story yet. Yeah, you know, I, I did think it was weird that all McCole Hardman talk like it, it was a thing, right? Everyone was wondering, making sure, oh, is he going to get activated before the deadline? But no one wanted to mention running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who is the team's starting running back at the beginning of the year. And to my knowledge, he got hurt, put on IR, but it was not like anyone said at that time it was completely season-ending. It was it was just something where they're going to have to – I believe Andy was even saying, like, yeah, we're just going to have to you know, reevaluate in a few weeks or whatever. He didn't get activated, so he's not on the, the, the roster. Fortson and Edwards-Hilaire, two guys that – at the beginning of the season, we would have thought were huge factors in, in, in a playoff run, right? Um, starting running back and a, a tight end that a lot of us thought was the second tight end and, and, and maybe could take a step into really being a, a consistent impact player. But I don't know about you, Stags, but like it doesn't really you know bother me too much that neither of those players are, are going to be in the playoffs. And that's a testament to the rest of them. I hate, you know, I, I hate to say that because obviously you want those guys to be healthy, but you know, it's a testament to the rest of the team. It's a testament to the rest of the offense, how these skill position groups, the depth of it has really stepped up. I, it's been really impressive and just something that I think at the beginning of the year, if you said these two guys were out, you probably would have freaked out a little bit for the playoffs. Yeah, uh, nothing to add there. I think that's uh, I think that's the right way to look at it. Um, all right, quick prediction time. Who are your two team award winners? Your, your Derek Thomas team MVP, first of all. Who's your MVP this year? It's Chris Jones. We can't give it to Mahomes all the time. He'll get the league MVP. So Chris Jones uh, making the defense as good as it was by being dominant. I'm going to give it to him. Yeah, you can make an argument for Jones or Kelsey. It, it's still Mahomes for me. I, I, you know, whatever. <laughs> he, he can take all the awards as far as <laughs> as far as I care. That's fair. Um, how about the Mac Lee Hill Rookie of the Year? Actually, some competition this year. There's a lot of guys who played a lot of snaps for this team. I know, I know. And it actually kind of wavered throughout the season, which guy made sense to get it. But I think Karloff has uh, earned it down the stretch, man. He, he has become the team's best defensive end. And you can't, and, you know, I know Pacheco became the team's best running back potentially. But actually, that's not it, maybe even true. Uh, you know, McKinnon could still be the team's more impactful running back. The team needs Karloff. He, he has been the best 
again, the best defensive end on the team uh, this year. So it, I, I'm going to give it to him. Yeah, I think for the season resume, you have to go Karloftis. I, I, I could make the case for Pacheco, but but really, you know, for the number of snaps, for the durability, for the the stats he put up, and for the improvement he showed at the end, I think he, I think Karloftis should should probably get that one. All right, let's do a quick prediction of the entire playoff field before it gets started. Next week, we'll be back talking about the Chiefs' actual opponent, and we'll talk about how that's going to play out. But let's go for the full field the full slate of games ron give me your predictions uh and i'll tell you where i disagree all right well i do think cincinnati and buffalo both make it to that second round for that big matchup you know and i do think i think the chargers are going to upset the jaguars um and, and get that taken care of i do think they're getting healthy um and their pass rushes is, is, is come alive with, with joey bosa back so i do think if i'm predicting that the chargers are going to be in kansas city next week and we're all going to be pretty nervous about it but you know excited for it as well on the other side, though, I think Minnie and San Francisco, they both get it done. Um, but I do think Tampa, I, I, I think Tampa is going to do it, man. I think Dallas has really limped into the playoffs, and I think Tampa is going to go ahead and upset them. And so that matches them up with Philly in the second round and Minnesota and San Francisco playing against each other. That ends up with San Francisco and Philly in the NFC Championship. I'm going to have the Chiefs and the Bengals in the AFC Championship. I really do think the Bengals are just a better team than the Bills right now. I don't care where they play. And I think you would have saw that if, if that game wouldn't have ended. Um, obviously prematurely, unfortunately. And I think the Chiefs write their demons. They win in the AFC Championship. I think the Eagles take care of business at home. They're just they're just too good, man. I, I think Brock Purdy was a great story, but you're not winning. You're not going to the Super Bowl. I'm sorry. And that's where I'm going to leave it because I don't want to make a prediction in the Super Bowl. Uh, Stags, <laughs> where do you disagree? Yeah, I think, I think we're on the same page for the most part. Um, I've got Buffalo over Cincinnati. And that championship game on the neutral site, just because I think the NFL wants that to happen. Uh, the, the, the football gods want that to happen. Uh, they'll be playing for their guy, uh, Damar, uh, who, by the way, we didn't have a podcast last week, partially because of that situation. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I heard some really great commentary from others on this topic, so we don't have to dive into it too much. But it was made for a really strange week covering the NFL and – you know, it's it's so heartwarming to see the outpouring of support. Uh, it's it's amazing to hear his progress, uh, he, you know, his progression to to becoming, you know, being conscious, being able to communicate with the team. Uh, I think this Buffalo team and the whole NFL community is rallied around this guy, which is which is nice to see. Uh, so I think that storyline continues as Buffalo makes a run to the AFC Championship game. Uh, I agree that. Um, that, that Philly is the class of the NFC, and that's who you're going to see in the Super Bowl. Um, I, I could see it going a lot of different ways. I could frankly see the Chiefs losing in the AFC Championship game to either Buffalo or Cincinnati, uh, though I don't want to see that happen. Uh, so I'll say the exact same slate of games as you, except with Buffalo uh, over Cincinnati, uh, everything else the same, Kansas City versus Philly. In the Kelsey Bowl, hopefully in yeah. In, uh, uh, that would be a lot of fun. That that podcast is going to be fire if they play <laughs> each other in the Super Bowl. Yeah, the the New Heights Super Bowl. I love that. Uh, yeah, no, I, and I think just to close it out real quick, I think it's just going to be an, an example of why 
the one seed now especially is so important with that bye week. I think both teams really need it. I, I mean, I don't think the Chiefs need it as much, but like health-wise, but I think they'll just take advantage of it. But Philly getting Jalen Hurts a, a week of rest, he's going to be ready to roll, and, and they're going to be super hard to beat. So I think we're right there. I, I think we are correct, Stag. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. Hey, it's going to be a fun postseason. I'm excited to see what happens. A lot of storylines, a lot of uh, storylines for this whole Chiefs season. We'll definitely come back and wrap it up when it's over, but hopefully that's not for uh, a couple, a few weeks, actually. So for Ron Cobb Jr., for Arrowhead Pride, this is the Out of Structure Podcast. Thank you for spending the time with us uh, after a week off. Uh, looking forward to the Chiefs' week off this weekend. Enjoy that playoff slate. Get ready to roll for next week because it's going to be a fun ride. Uh, thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.